Revelation 14 tonight, please. Revelation 14. I think this is the first uh, Sunday night in our, uh, during our Revelation series that we've, we've come to the book of Revelation in our evening service. It's not a bad thing to do, Brother Mike. Uh, if you've not been able to be part of our uh, Revelation series, uh, hopefully this can be uh, an encouragement to you tonight. It's a, it's a good chapter for us to be in, uh, particularly if you've not been able to be here uh, in the Sunday School Hour. It's one of the several chapters, or seem to be one of the several chapters in the book of Revelation that sort of breaks out of the chronological flow of the book. Brother Ray, we understand, we remember after the early passages that deal with the messages to the church, the book is primarily a chronology uh, of the tribulation period, ultimately flowing into uh, the much better things of the millennium. And so uh, we thank the Lord for the certain hope of the millennium. Uh, this is a chapter that seems to come apart from the chronological flow and uh, give us insight into a number of things. And I said this this morning, I've said it as we looked at some of the other chapters that don't seem to be chronological. It seems to be the Lord has uh, determined that uh, this is the right place in the flow of the book to uh, give us certain insights, Mike, to arm us or to equip us with certain insights that will help us as the chronology, the timeline sort of picks up and moves forward again. And so uh, we thank the Lord for that. In his wisdom, he's chosen to give us these things at this point um, in the book. So uh, if you've not been here for our Sunday School series, of, of course, we uh, we look at uh, the, the majority of the book of Revelation as, as prophecy of still future events, uh, beginning with the rapture, the tribulation period to follow, and all of the uh, trials, you might say trials and tribulations, right, the trials, the tribulations uh, of the tribulation period, uh, this, this time of great difficulty, uh, great tribulation that the Lord is going to use Brother Art, to finally bring Israel and Jewish people to Christ, their Messiah, not only them, but there's, there's, a, there's a strong focus on, on bringing uh, Jewish people to Christ uh, through the uh, various trials and challenges that they will experience, that the world will experience in this still future seven-year period. And Mike, we've talked about this in the past. Um, we recognize that many people have been saved as a result of a great difficulty in their life. And so, yeah, we, we know that that's, that's just a truth, and the Lord knows that also. So this is kind of that principle dialed up uh, pretty dramatically over uh, a, a number of years. The Lord will, will use that idea to that principle, that plan to save uh, many people. Now, this morning, we looked at the first half um, of this book, and uh, we don't have time to uh, teach kind of all the way through the first half of the book again, but let's, let's do a quick review. If you have Bible, grab, grab Bible, uh, chapter 14, Revelation 14. Uh, there in the first five verses of the book, John has this extraordinary vision uh, of Christ. It's called the Lamb here, capital L, Lamb. Uh, standing on Mount Zion, uh, pictured with the 144,000, uh, not the Jehovah's Witnesses who claimed to be the 144,000 uh, through much of their, uh, their history at least, 
uh, but rather the uh, Bible seems to, to picture these as those uh, Jews that are saved out of the various tribes, Jewish tribes, uh, who the Lord sends out around the world to serve as evangelists through the balance uh, of the tribulation period. We saw, we've seen that he uses them for that purpose, part of his plan, part of his program. We've seen more recently uh, the two witnesses in Jerusalem, Brother Ray, that will minister and preach forth and, uh, and minister with great supernatural power from the Lord. Uh, this morning in, in this chapter, we already saw, we all, let me try again, we also, there we go, we also saw uh, an angel that seems to be involved in uh, bringing the gospel around the world. Look there in verse 6. So John has seen various angels uh, in the visions that the Lord has given him uh, up to this point. We see six more uh, in this chapter, there's more to follow uh, thereafter, but in verse 6, he says, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the what, church? The everlasting gospel. Yeah, amen. Uh, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. And, you know, I look at this, and I said this this morning, I don't see any reason to think that this is not literal, that, you know, John is, uh, Lord is giving him a vision of a future time during the tribulation period where, where he will literally have an angel to go around the world uh, preaching forth the gospel uh, from, from the heavens, uh, this is probably the atmospheric heaven, uh, very supernaturally as he's supernaturally deployed the 144,000, as he supernaturally utilized the two witnesses in, in Jerusalem, uh, he could supernaturally use the ministry of this angel to carry forth the message uh, of the gospel. And so you have uh, the Lord uh, adding this angel uh, in its uh, evangelistic uh, ministry into the, his plan to get the gospel to everyone, everywhere. It seems that the, the tribulation period is drawing to a close, and so this would be one of the final steps uh, to uh, be sure that everyone has heard the gospel at least once uh, and has had an opportunity to, uh, to hear and to respond. And uh, we saw another angel in verse 8, can't go into this tonight, but an angel crying, Babylon has fallen. Uh, we understand that. It could be a reference to a literal place, but probably more likely to uh, the world system of the Antichrist, who will rule and reign uh, during a, a portion of the tribulation period. Uh, he'll have his own false uh, political system, a false economic system, obviously a false religious system. Uh, ultimately, the Lord will not allow that to continue. It will have fallen. And so uh, here we have a, a wonderful uh, a prophecy uh, of the, the failing of the, the, the overcoming of the Antichrist uh, system. Uh, verse 9, 10, 11, the third angel uh, prophesies, uh, don't worship the Antichrist, uh, the beast and his image. And uh, we saw this morning, I said this morning, the famous references here to the uh, receiving of the mark uh, and in the hand. Uh, we talked a little bit about the significance of this uh, this morning. If you have questions about that, uh, please come and see me. But all I'd like to do is, is pick it up there. Uh, so, so John has written uh, in verse 9 regarding those who... Uh, worship the Antichrist, one of two who are called the beast in Revelation, 
uh, and uh, those who take his brand or his mark, uh, that will have a practical value to them. They'll be able to buy and sell, but does seem to uh, suggest or, or connote sort of an ownership. They take his mark, they take his brand uh, as they worship him and, and take the brand for practical purposes. Uh, there'll be a consequence uh, to those who do that, and uh, it's, it's hell, as described in, in verse 10, uh, verse 11, and so that's, that's difficult. Uh, we understand that. We don't believe saved people will do that, but lost people will, and they will suffer the consequence of hell uh, because of that. Brother Art, no one will be able to say, we didn't know better. No one will be able to say, we didn't know the gospel. Lord, you didn't tell us. No, he sent 144,000. Uh, no, he, he, he had two witnesses that were seen around the world supernaturally. Uh, there's an angel that goes around the world uh, in, in the atmospheric heaven, uh, disseminating, preaching the gospel. No, every, everyone uh, has had an opportunity to hear the gospel uh, and to respond. No one will be able to say, I, I did not know. Praise God for that. Uh, pr praise him for that. We believe that'll be accomplished supernaturally. Of course, the Lord could use some of the technology we have today. He doesn't need to, but certainly, uh, certainly he could. Now, beginning, we'll pick it up where we left off in verse 12. Uh, the Lord in instructs John to write regarding the saved now. So we've seen some, uh, we've seen the end of the unsaved, and we know that's a very real hell, but uh, now uh, the, John is instructed to write regarding those who die in the Lord, uh, to be in Christ, to be in the Lord is to be saved. We understand that's a term that we see throughout the New Testament. That refers to salvation, being in Christ. So those who die in the Lord obviously have a different end than those who do not. Here's verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Uh, saints refer to holy ones, those who've been made holy in the eyes of God uh, by the gospel and the blood of Christ. Here are they that keep the commandments of God uh, and the faith of Jesus. John writes in verse 13, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, write. And so he has. We're uh, recipients of, of these words translated so wonderfully accurately for us. Write, blessed or happy are the dead which die in the Lord uh, from henceforth. Uh, yeah, there, there's a happiness in salvation. Uh, we know life is not always easy today for those of us who are saved. Uh, we take care not to promise people, hey, just get saved, everything will be fine, everything will be easy. No, that's not true. You get saved into a spiritual battle, Brother Ray. We, we certainly understand that. Uh, but there's a, there's a blessedness, a happiness in, in knowing Christ as your Savior. Blessed are, they which, uh, are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, uh, saith the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that they may rest from their labors uh, and their works do follow them. So uh, sure, we understand that once we cross the finish line at the end of uh, this life, uh, there's a rest from earthly labors. Amen. Uh, there's a rest from earthly labors, Brother Mike. We praise God for that. Uh, and, and the Lord says here, their works do follow them. I don't know how to understand that except as their service uh, 
the, the effect, the result, the reward for their service uh, follows them. So our, our earthly labors end when we draw our last breath here, uh, but the effect of our service, uh, service in and through the ministry of a local church, I would argue that's, uh, that's the Lord's means of service, the place of service, his plan for our service uh, during this church age. Uh, in any event, the, the effect, the, uh, the result of our uh, works in the sense of service uh, follow. Sure, that makes sense. We'll be rewarded uh, in heaven uh, at the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, we believe crowns, Bible pictures, crowns being distributed uh, for service. Uh, of course, Bible alludes to those crowns being cast back uh, in worship. But uh, we rest from earthly labors, but the rewards of our service uh, follow. We praise God for that. Uh, Zach, I've said many times, I, Lord, I, I want to have crowns. I want to earn those crowns. I want to be able to worship you uh, with those crowns. And so uh, service performed in and through the ministries of local churches during this church age, uh, they'll be rewarded. Now, verse 14 uh, seems to be a picture of the second coming of Christ. So uh, I said this morning that it doesn't seem to be chronological, doesn't, doesn't seem to fit the chronology necessarily. Uh, the first part of this chapter seems to picture the outset of the, of the millennium, Christ standing there upon Zion. Uh, we, we get some information added. Uh, and then here in verse 14 seems to be a vision of, of the second coming of Christ. So not chronological, but certainly... Uh, in the order of the, Lord, of the Lord's choosing, he's giving us insights into uh, different events, different points um, along his, his timeline. Verse 14 is, is wonderful. John says, I looked and behold, a white cloud. Uh, the particular underlying word that's used here is used only here. It's not used anywhere else uh, in scripture. One of those uh, so-called hopox words uh, is white cloud. Uh, and upon the cloud, one sat like, uh, read the rest of the verse with me aloud, please, like unto the Son of Man, uh, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. Uh, sharp sickle is maybe of concern, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. So this wonderful picture here uh, of Christ coming I do believe this is the second coming, not the rapture. Uh, rapture can be viewed as the first part of the second coming where uh, those who are in Christ, both dead and alive, are, are caught away uh, to the third heaven, the place of the throne room, uh, followed by the judgment seat, the marriage supper, wonderful things such as the marriage supper of the Lamb, uh, and then the seven-year tribulation, and then Christ returning with uh, his people uh, at the second coming, essentially at or near uh, that final battle of Armageddon, which we'll see um, allusions to that uh, here in this chapter. So here he is, Christ, uh, behold the white cloud, uh, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man. It's very interesting. Uh, clouds, of course, throughout Scripture are associated with the presence of the Lord, Brother Ray. We think of the the, the, the presence of God who led the, the people through the, the wilderness uh, in Exodus, a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. 
when the Lord ascended into heaven um, after the cross, after his resurrection, was there not a cloud? There, there was a cloud that uh, he ascended up uh, toward. Uh, here you see a cloud at his return. Uh, there's clouds associated with his presence coming into the tabernacle and the temple. Uh, so his, his presence is, is signified, perhaps announced uh, by a cloud. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, one man said a white cloud represents the purity and uprightness and justice uh, of his proceedings in judgment. Judgment is coming here. Uh, yes, uh, perhaps the, the whiteness of the cloud, purity, uprightness. Uh, upon the cloud sat one uh, like unto the Son of Man. Um, we saw back in chapter 1 and, and verse 13, just peek back there if you would, uh, back in chapter 1 and verse 13, uh, first reference in Revelation to this title, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. So the presence of Christ uh, amongst the churches, uh, present in a special way as God's people have assembled uh, as his churches or candlesticks, those given the responsibility uh, of giving forth light. Uh, he's clothed with a garment down to the foot and, a girt, and girt about the paps with a golden uh, girdle. Uh, you remember that's the first use of this uh, title in Revelation, not the first time in Scripture, though. First time in Scripture, you'd have to go all the way back to where? Do you remember? Do you remember? Uh, it's Daniel, uh, Daniel 7 and verse 13. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man uh, came with the clouds of heaven, uh, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory, a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. Uh, his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, uh, in his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So Daniel, of course, prophesied all the major kingdoms uh, of the world uh, after uh, Babylon, uh, to include the millennial kingdom uh, uh, inaugurated with the return of Christ in the cloud uh, to, to set up his kingdom. And so that, and it's wonderful prophecy. Uh, but you have this, this very interesting title. He's called Son of Man. Uh, Son of Man, back in Matthew uh, 24, which deals with future, some of these same future events, uh, uh, then shall appear the, son, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Uh, Matthew 26, uh, he's the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power, coming in the clouds uh, of heaven. A uh, number of times, uh, at least 30 times, Michael Christ referred to himself as the Son of Man. In Matthew 9, verse 6, he says, uh, that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Praise God. Uh, in Matthew 18 and verse 11, Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Praise God. Uh, in Matthew 16 and verse 27, Jesus says, The Son of Man uh, shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, uh, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. And that's exactly what I think we're seeing here 
uh, in, in this chapter. There's angels, there's his coming, uh, there's a reference to their works, the works of the saints following them, uh, allusion to the reward uh, that, that they will uh, experience. Um, I've mentioned uh, in the past, but not recently, uh, there's a great reference that David Cloud has. It's the Way of Life Encyclopedia of the Bible and Christianity. Uh, this is the fifth edition, but there's a sixth edition that, that has come out, I think, fairly recently. It's actually on sale uh, right now at his website. It's less than $20, wayoflife.org, uh, wayoflife.org. I, I mention it tonight because, well, it's excellent. <laughs> it's currently on sale. It's a tremendous uh, resource. Um, and uh, I, I have in my notes uh, some, some notes from Brother Cloud's entry on the title, Son of Man, uh, and some of the wonderful truths that that title suggests. And so I'm not gonna take credit for that, Brother Mike, but uh, this Brother Cloud gets, gets credit for uh, these observations, but great, great resource. And if you could buy that right now for less than $20, it's, it's a tremendous resource to have in your library. Uh, one missionary said, if you can only take two books out of the mission field, one would be the Bible, the other one would be this one. Well, uh, I'm not sure that I would necessarily agree with that statement, but this, this is a, an excellent resource, and uh, I've recommended it a number of times over the years and happy to do so again tonight. Uh, Brother Cloud, in, in the Way of Life Encyclopedia, uh, he says the name Son of Man, the title Son of Man, reminds us uh, of several truths. By the way, how is Son of Man different than Son of God? Well, one, one deals with deity and one deals with humanity, right? In, in a general sense, we know uh, that's the distinction. Zach, Christ came as 100% man and, and still 100% God uh, in, in one person. How is that possible? Well, it's, it's, it's the miracle of the incarnation of Christ uh, that's not possible uh, except that the Lord made that possible. Uh, he made that possible. We can't understand it, but we can describe it, and it's wonderful and, and miraculous. Uh, Brother Cloud says, uh, the name the Son of Man reminds us of several truths. Uh, one, uh, God's Son did become a man. <laughs> he did become a man. Uh, he came as a man. John 1 uh, and verse 14 reminds, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, uh, full of grace and truth. And of course, he came in fulfillment of prophecies like Isaiah 7 and verse 14, Brother Art, that he would come of a virgin, not just a young girl, as some would like to translate the Hebrew word Alma, uh, but as a virgin. Uh, that, that would be a sign. Uh, and of course, he did come in, in fulfillment of that sign. Uh, secondly, Brother Cloud says this, this title, the Son of Man, uh, and this is, this is good, hear this, alludes to Christ's humility in leaving his heavenly glory uh, and taking on the form of a man. That's a wonderful humility. You think about the humility that we saw in uh, this morning in the second half of Mark 5, second half of chapters, our theme today, I guess, uh, the, the humility of, of the woman with the issue of blood, the humility of the leader of the synagogue who approached Christ as his daughter uh, was, was ill and at death's door. They, they came with a wonderful 
Uh, I don't think I said this this morning, but I'll say it tonight. Christ-like humility. Uh, they came with a, to Christ with a wonderful Christ-like uh, humility. Um, turn to Philippians 2, please. Let's see this together tonight, please. Uh, Philippians 2. So just turn, keep your place here, but turn back, if you would, uh, to Philippians 2. Uh, Philippians 2, of course, speaks to the wonderful humility of Christ our Savior. Uh, Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5, says uh, Paul, writing under inspiration, of course, there's a, there's a command, let this mind be in you, and you, of course, King James Bible's translating uh, that underlying second person plural pronoun, right? Uh, that's so familiar to us. Uh, let this mind be in, in you, all of you, all of us, see this, understand this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That's equal with God the Father. He's equal in every way uh, to God the Father. Verse 7, but, so uh, a departure, a point of contrast here, but made himself of what church? No reputation. Took upon the form of a what? Servant. Uh, and was made in the likeness of who? Men. Uh, and being found in fashion as a man, he what? Humbled himself and became obedient unto death, uh, even the death of the cross. Uh, yeah, son of man, in coming as a man for the purpose of dying upon the cross, there's an extraordinary humility. He left a perfect heaven to come to a very imperfect earth to experience all of the uh, indignity that he experienced, uh, ultimately the, the great indignity of, of the cross. Of course, he was buried and he, and he rose again, Mike, proving who he is, son of man, son of God, God the son. Uh, but son of man, uh, wonderful humility in his willingness uh, to come as a man. This is the humility that we're called to. And Brother Ray, we, we can find that humility and exercise it in our lives, in our worship of him, in our approach to one another. We can, we can have a Christ-like humility in our lives because of Christ uh, who is in us together with the Father uh, and, and the Spirit. Uh, praise God. Uh, Brother Carl, Cloud suggests also Son of Man also signifies Christ's love uh, in his willingness to take sinful man's place in judgment. Yeah, uh, there's a wonderful humility in being willing to, to depart heaven, come as a man, uh, but there's a great love. And of course, we know that God the Father loved us so much that he was willing to send his only begotten Son, John 3, 16, but uh, Christ in his willingness to come according to the plan. There's humility, Brother Ray. He yields himself to the plan of the Father, uh, voluntarily yielding to the plan of the Father. The fa uh, but there's, there's great love in that, in his willingness to come and die for us. There's obviously an extraordinary, extraordinary love. Uh, make a couple of, of notes here. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 um, Paul writes, for he hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness uh, of God in him. First Peter 2 and verse 24, Peter writes of Christ who 
his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, the cross, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose uh, stripes ye, all of us, were healed. That, that's a tremendous love, a, a tremendous love. And uh, Brother Cloud makes one more observation. He says the, the name Son of Man, uh, the name Son of Man uh, implies that all salvation is through this man. Uh, any hope of salvation, all hope of salvation uh, is in and through this one man. Uh, 1 Timothy 2 uh, and verse 5 says, For there is one God. You probably know this verse. There's one God, God the Father, one mediator between God, God the Father, and men. Uh, who is who? The man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Uh, he's son of man, uh, the man who is the one and only mediator uh, between God and men. Uh, it's a title with a lot of significance, and so I encourage you to kind of think through those thoughts, appreciate Brother Cloud. Of course, don't, I'm not suggesting I agree with him on every little thing that probably would not be the case, but uh, found his writing to be very, very helpful in a lot of areas over the years. And encourage you again to consider having that reference as part of your library. Um, back verse 14, John says, I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like unto the son of man. Uh, having on his head a golden crown. Of course, this is uh, significant in so many ways. Gold, uh, gold of the tabernacle and, and the, the temple signify deity, Brother Ray. Uh, it signifies um, deity, uh, value, uh, worth, uh, certainly. Uh, we know that gold is also used scripturally to symbolize uh, or to picture salvation also uh, in great value of salvation. Look back quickly at chapter 3. You're in Revelation. Look back at chapter 3 uh, and verse 18. This is the chapter where uh, Christ is dealing with the church at Laodicea. What was their issue? What was, what was their problem? coldness or luke, lukewarmness, <laughs> lukewarmness. And the Lord said, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. You're, you're, you're lukewarm. And we looked at that in some detail. There, chapter 3, verse 18. Um, the message to uh, the church there, part of the message to them is uh, this. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold uh, tried in the fire. Uh, that thou mayest be rich. And so there seems to be a picture here of, of salvation and the, perhaps the spiritual wealth, if you will, that we acquire in salvation uh, being pictured as gold. So the, the deity of Christ, the value, the worth of Christ, the, the value, the worth, the richness uh, of salvation uh, pictured by gold. And of course, I don't have to tell you about the crown. Uh, there's, he's, he's pictured as having on his head a crown. Uh, the underlying word is Stephanus. This is the victor's crown, the crown that would be uh, awarded to uh, a victor, Brother Ray, in, in, a, in, in a competition 
of course, Christ is the one who has earned victory over sin at the cross and over the grave and over the enemy. And uh, he's, he's the one who is royal, who has uh, unlimited authority. And so much, uh, so much uh, pictured here. Uh, let's go just a little bit further here. Um, verse 15 and 16 is the fourth angel that we see here in this chapter. Uh, there's poetic language here. This is familiar to us, but let's review this uh, quickly. There, there's poetic language regarding a harvest and, and this uh, um, agricultural or agrarian language, of course, is used throughout the New Testament. It's familiar. Uh, Mike, this would have been familiar, would have been relevant to people in the first century. They would understand these things. We have to kind of reach back and, and study them a little bit, being uh, pretty far removed from an agricultural agrarian lifestyle. Uh, unless you live up in my hometown and you grew up in a house that's surrounded by corn, uh, we have to kind of think through this a little bit. But uh, here, uh, the Lord uses um, an allusion to a harvest. And, of course, there's a harvest pictured of the lost un, uh, unto uh, the judgment of hell, first of all, uh, and then the saved unto eternal life and, and eternal reward and ultimately to the millennium, thousand-year reign of Christ and to the new heaven and new earth. The new Jerusalem, our, our final eternal destiny, uh, where, where we'll live out our days in eternity. Uh, we, have, we have wonderful hope, uh, certainly, but there's, uh, there's an allusion here first to a harvest of sinners uh, who will be cut down uh, and, and dealt with uh, once and for all. And I think uh, probably verses 15 and 16 and probably the next several verses also allude to uh, I, I would think this is likely uh, an allusion to that final battle where the Lord puts down uh, his enemy. So we know Zechariah, back in Zechariah 14, pictures a time when the, the entire world is arrayed against Israel. Uh, all nations uh, are gathered against Jerusalem to battle. Brother Art, I don't have to say this again. We've said this a couple of times uh, here in the past couple of weeks. It wouldn't take an awful lot to get from where we are uh, in the Middle East tonight to something like what is pictured at the time of Armageddon. Uh, there, is, there has been a tidal wave of anti-Semitism that has flooded across the world in, in these past few weeks. Uh, in the past few weeks, Israel has literally been attacked from all sides, right? Um, uh, Hamas to the west, Hezbollah to the north, uh, from uh, Iranian uh, forces in Syria from the east, uh, the, the Houthi forces, uh, Iranian surrogates uh, from Yemen to the south, literally uh, from all four sides. And so um, certainly what we see in the world tonight uh, has shown us that it's very easy to get from what looks like peace to something very different from that uh, in in very short period of time. And uh, I really don't think it would take an awful lot to get us from where we are in the world tonight to uh, all nations being uh, opposed, gathered against Israel. That's not, what, what we see tonight is not that. The rapture hasn't occurred yet. 
events uh, in Revelation that have to occur before we get to that point uh, in the tribulation period have not happened yet. Uh, and so we know we're not there. Uh, we're not at that point in the Lord's timeline. But boy, again tonight, what we do see in the world reminds us that this can come together very quickly. Uh, what we see in scripture can, uh, the, the pieces can be set into place very quickly uh, for the fulfillment of these things. Now, wonderfully, um, we see as these things fall into place, the Lord will not tolerate it forever. Mike, he deals with his enemies. Uh, he will thrust in a sickle at the harvest of the wicked and deal with those who have absolutely steadfastly refused Christ, despite all that the Lord has done to draw them to Christ, to bring them to Christ, to make sure they hear the gospel, to make sure they see all of these supernatural things that validate the authenticity of the gospel message that's gone forth throughout the tribulation period, some will still refuse. Some will bow to the Antichrist instead of to Christ. Uh, some will receive his brand uh, rather than um, uh, the choosing to die for Christ. We understand that, what we've seen that. Verse 15, another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap for the time has come for thee to reap uh, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Harvest of the lost first. Uh, uh, and he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth uh, and the earth was reaped. There's another angel here, verse 18. Another angel came out from the altar which had the power over fire and cried with a loud cry, to him that had the sharp sickle, probably the fifth angel, saying, uh, thrust in thy sharp sickle, gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. Now, you might, as you're studying through or reading through, not be sure that this is the lost who are in view here, but verses 19 and 20 make it pretty clear. Uh, verse 19, the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth, uh, and cast it into the great winepress of the, what are the next four words at the, the end of verse 19? The wrath of God. Uh, Mike, Lord doesn't have wrath at me, uh, but he has wrath at the sin of the lost. And so very clearly, this is a, this is a harvest uh, of the lost unto judgment um, at some point in the future. Verse 20, the, rhyme, the wine press was trodden without or outside the city, I assume that's Jerusalem, blood came out of the wine press, picturing judgment, uh, even unto the horse bridles by the space of uh, 1,600 furlongs, uh, historical measure that equates to roughly 200 miles, uh, 200 miles. And I think this would be, this would be consistent with the grand battlefield uh, that is uh, the place of the final battle, the final uh, revolt of the world against the Lord. Uh, there at that battle of, of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation period uh, where Christ comes and puts down his foes uh, once and for all. Uh, I want to just read uh, Zechariah 14, uh, 2 and 3. This pretty clearly describes uh, that time. Uh, Zechariah 14, verse 2 says, For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city shall be 
taken, the houses rifled, women ravished, half the city shall go into captivity, residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then, verse 3, shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations uh, and when he fought uh, in, the, in the day of battle. Lord will come upon the scene and uh, reap a harvest of the lost uh, who will be judged, that judgment pictured as the uh, the great wine press of the wrath of God, uh, a great judgment, a pressing down of, of these who have uh, opposed the Lord despite all that he has invested uh, to reach them uh, with the truth. Mike, the, the enemies of God will be dealt with by God, by the Lord. Uh, similar, that's promise. Um, and then the Lord will fulfill all of his promises to his people, uh, all of the wonderful promises of the millennium, the, pr the promise of the presence, the physical presence of Christ and, and his perfect provision for people throughout the, the millennium, his perfect protection, all those P's that we've looked at at different points uh, in the past. There's obviously great difficulty between tonight uh, and that day, but the Lord will get us through from tonight to that day, uh, and we praise him for that. Um, are, you, are you thankful that God will deal with his enemies? Amen. Yeah. Of course, we'd rather see them saved and, and become his, his people, but he will deal with his enemies. Uh, are you looking forward tonight to his millennial promises? Don't lose sight of these things. Uh, I believe that uh, very difficult, we're in, we're in the midst of very difficult days and, and more difficult days are coming, but we have the promise of the presence of God and his grace in our lives uh, to endure, knowing that he is accomplishing his purposes. Um, we know that ultimately the rapture will come and uh, deliver us from the worst of what is to come but that worst is the Lord's plan to win people to himself. In the end, those who refuse will be dealt with by the Lord, uh, a harvest uh, that, will be, um, that will be dealt with. Uh, and then there's a harvest of, of the saved, uh, his people, and the fulfillment of God's promises to all of us. We have a wonderful future to look forward to uh, and, and much uh, difficulty uh, the worst, the worst of the difficulty of Scripture, the, the tribulation period, certainly will will be missed by us. Thank the Lord for that. I'm going to pray. Father, we do thank you tonight for uh, the Book of Revelation. Uh, tonight, I acknowledge again that there's there's difficulties. Uh, we struggle at times, and uh, Lord, we certainly hope that we're handling uh, the bulk of what we see accurately tonight. Uh, our desire is, is to seek you uh, in these words. Uh, we know, Lord, tonight that uh, it is you uh, who is revealed in all of these words, um, your wrath at sin and your promises to your people. Father, I pray tonight that um, the wrath um, that we see we not leave that out of the message that we deliver to lost people today. Lord, we understand that um, the, the promise of wrath, the certainty of hell, uh, it gets people's attention. It certainly got my attention as a young person. Um, 
That's the problem, sin and the consequence of sin, uh, for which Christ in the gospel is the answer. So, Lord, I, I pray tonight that you help us to be aware uh, of both sides of that equation, uh, to understand, uh, to have the verses at the ready, that we might share these truths uh, with lost people. There is a problem, sin and its consequences. There is an answer, Christ and the gospel. Lord, help us to be skillful in uh, addressing both sides of that equation to the lost. Lord, that they might not experience the, the tribulation period, uh, that they might not experience these things. Lord, we thank you tonight for the privilege to know truth regarding the future. It's a great privilege indeed. Father, thank you for um, equipping us with these things that we might warn that we might be in the business of warning uh, and be in the business of sharing the answer, the gospel, the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, um, forgiveness available in him and him alone. Lord, give us boldness to take these things to those who so desperately need to hear. Church, give you a minute to pray. Father, we thank you for the mission that you've given us, the great commission given to churches. We're grateful. You've given us great purpose. Once again tonight, thank you for that. We are not people who lack purpose. Uh, we have the greatest purpose that could be given to a people to go and to teach the gospel, to baptize the believer, and to disciple them, to teach them all of your words. Lord, help us each to be about that business, doing our part for you. Uh, Lord, we thank you. Father, thank you for each one who's come out tonight. Pray you bless them. Get us home safely tonight, please. And Lord, as we look ahead to a, a new schedule, uh, really beginning next week and continuing the week after, I, I pray, Lord, this, this will work, that it will not be disruptive or um, a problem for anyone. Lord, help us to see any, any challenges or difficulties and uh, to be wise in handling them. Uh, Lord, of course, we're, we're not dug in on a new schedule or exactly how we're doing this, but I pray that you show us any changes that may need to be made along the way. But Lord, ultimately, we, we believe this opportunity to fellowship each week and, and to, uh, to have an afternoon service will, will be good for us all spiritually and will bring you honor and glory. We pray that would be the case. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Zach, come and lead us in a closing song. Thank you so much for being here tonight. As you know, uh, it's not my normal routine to sell books from the pulpit, but I do have uh, a copy, uh, an unused copy of Brother Cloud's uh, Way of Life Encyclopedia. It says $23 on the front, but if someone would like it, we, we would take $20 for it, and we'll just put that in the offering plate. But, uh, of course, you can order your own copy um, Actually, we'd take $18 for it, because I think that's the sale price online now. Uh, anyway, if you'd like to have this, let me know. All right? Zach, you come, please. All right, let's uh, stand as we turn to number 573. We'll sing our last song, 573. 
Onward Christian Soldiers will sing the first and the last of 573. Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before Christ the royal master leads against the foe forward into battle see his banner go Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. And the last, onward then ye people, join our happy throng, blend with ours your voices in the triumph song. Glory, Lord, and honor unto Christ the King. This through countless ages men and angels sing. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before. 